all you kooky cat birds out there. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. And I'm here with, uh, I'm Casey, I guess I should start with, and I'm here with the fantastic Sarah. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing well, and I love cat birds. Yeah, they're fun. Honestly, I love basically any bird that's not a robin or a cardinal that I can identify is a great about. bird to me. Yeah, so that's what go. I like about cat birds. And they do sometimes sound very much like cats when they call. Yes, not in, always. But In high school, I was very much tricked into thinking there was a kitten stuck up a tree by a cat bird once. Um, but they also have another call that sounds like my dad's name, Eric. And so once I was like in the yard and from far away, I was like, is that my grandma calling for my dad? <laughs> What's going on? Nope, it was a cat bird. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, Casey, how are you? I am in the my brain is fried stage of pregnancy. Excellent. So um, moving forward into all podcasts. Guys, take take what you're hearing from me with a grain of salt. <laughs> We're still gonna do all the research. I just know like last episode I said Netherlands twice when I meant Norway, and really like we're just operating at that level right now. So uh, we'll see what it's like to have a baby and get even less sleep. Understood. Well, we'll we'll start off with some things that are not very uh, hopefully pressing on the brain. We have some fun things. Happy belated Earth yes, Day. Happy Earth Day. I didn't register last week when we recorded last week that that episode was going to Literally come out on, on Earth, Earth Day. Day. Maybe maybe we should have acknowledged that. That's like our holiday here yeah. at a little dinner, but uh, we didn't. So happy belated Earth Day, Casey. Did you do anything Earth Day weekend at all? Not really. I like thought on Earth Day that I would uh, post on our social media saying happy birthday and I fell asleep at eight o'clock. So no, <laughs> I worked. <laughs> I also thought about posting on social media and it didn't happen, but I went to the library the day before Earth Day and they had a little Earth Day display of books. So that was fun. So I got out a little book on gardening and a book on hikes in Central Florida nice. with the idea that I would pick a hike to do on Earth Day and then I didn't. But I figure that's okay. I still have the book. Yes. I will do. I will pick myself a fun new place to hike and have a little because, you know, every day is Earth Day. That's our motto here at A Little Greener. Right. That's why we that's... didn't post or do anything. <laughs> or at least, yeah, th that's our <laughs> motto when we forget to do anything on actual Earth Day. Also, though, Casey, this episode that we are recording right now is our 100th episode. Of that's wild. Wow. <laughs> it is. I still remember the first time that we talked at our former workplace that it just sort of came up as a, I think it'd be fun to do a podcast. I also thought it would be fun to do a podcast. And then and we actually- Here we are. Here we are still maintaining at like a pretty good clip. This is, mm -hmm. as we've said before, if you, you're new here, Sarah and I don't get paid for this. We are not sponsored by any sort of like big podcast network or anything. This is- entirely our free time passion project and so i'm very proud of us for getting a hundred episodes out in about two years like that's not a lot of time off yeah. so i'm gonna give nope. ourselves a little pat on yep. the back right there long distance high fives heck yeah <laughs> and i am am thoroughly enjoying it still and we appreciate all of you for uh listening to us for 
two years or two episodes or if this is your first one, welcome aboard. We hope you enjoy it. I don't have anything special planned for our 100th episode. We're not big planners around here. We've sort of taken it a week at a time. So we're talking about what, in fact, some people may feel is an extraordinarily boring topic. I don't think it is once you start learning about it. But we're going to be talking about concrete. Yeah, we are. Which is not something until relatively recently, honestly, that I even thought about in terms of environmental impact. So we're going to explore what that environmental impact is in our discussion tonight. Casey, to get us started with our, our, to get our brains churning on concrete, I'm curious, you guys bought a house not too long ago. I bought a house not terribly long ago myself. Do you know what kind of house construction, like what frame of house you have i i believe it's wood i think the majority of houses around here are wood framed houses but having recently traveled to florida i feel like you guys have a different style of house than we have up here yeah it's very much a different style and i think that that is both both i think in the exterior like the appearance Mm -hmm. of the houses around here which is not necessarily my favorite i miss I missed two stories (laughs) curb appeal. Well, not even two stories, but just the I feel like there was more variation in neighborhoods back up north uh, as opposed to where I live now. But also, yeah, I think the the frames of the houses probably have a little bit of a different mix. There are certainly wood frame houses down here as well. But my house and something that was important to me, maybe more important than it should have been to me when I I bought the house, was to have concrete block frame to my house. And that is because I live in Florida. And in my mind, that feeling of having that concrete frame, just the, the sort of stability and durability that even just that provides in my mind. So... I'm not saying that this is all, it's not necessary to have a concrete frame house here, but in my mind, it just gives me a little bit more peace of mind to help withstand things like potential hurricane force winds. The more that you look into it, obviously, even wood frame houses down here are going to be built up to code right. to to sustain uh, to sustain as much uh, as they possibly can uh but there is that idea that concrete is just such a good reliable durable strong building material and because of that this is something that is used a lot so is it like a world. cinder block sort of frame there are different okay. ways you can have concrete block is what it's is called that I have. So yes, it is actual blocks, but you can also have poured concrete as well. And it's just like there's still wood involved in my house too, but the like I I'm no home builder, but my understanding is more the exterior walls have that concrete frame. And there's a bunch of pros and cons and things like that that you can look into. But for me, it was purely the idea that if a bad storm were to come through, I would feel just a little bit more secure in knowing I had that concrete block. So houses, buildings, roads, all kinds of things. We're going to talk about where we use concrete, how concrete is made, 
what those impacts are to the environment and how we can maybe start to curtail those impacts down the road. So stick around for our discussion of concrete. All right, everybody, welcome to the most exciting discussion on a very ubiquitous building material, which is concrete. Now, I always like to start off with a little bit of defining where we're at, because I have to say that I am guilty of using some words interchangeably that are not actually the same thing. Concrete, cement, honestly, sometimes even asphalt. All of these things have been for a long time very interchangeable in my mind, but they are actually different things and it's important to know about that. So Casey, are you familiar at all? Do you know the differences between concrete and cement and what we're actually talking about? Uh, No, generally I would say no. I mean like (laughs) asphalt, I'm like, I know the difference between that one because that's like poured onto things and like it's black. (laughs) It's got like a slightly different texture when it dries and all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. I feel like I always thought about cement as being the sidewalk and concrete being a building material, but I am about 99.95% sure that that's not at all any sort of real difference between the two of them. And I will say, Sarah, that you might be downplaying the excitement of this episode because I told my sister we were doing this episode and she was like, concrete? Great! Because she's an engineer, so she works with concrete, so... And I don't mean to imply that I actually think it's boring. I just think it's, it, you know, people use the expression like watching paint dry as something boring. So it just in my mind, it's just like, oh, you're watching. You're coming to a nature you know, podcast and you're listening concrete to set concrete. Or yes, something. Yes, yes, yes. So in my mind, it's just funny. But I actually do think it's very interesting and it is something that you will see pop up more and more in terms of conversations around the environment. So, yeah, I would say I was very similar to you, Casey, in sort of the, the way that I thought about things. I feel like we we would refer to sidewalks as being cement, but typically they are going to be concrete. My understanding is that there's not much that you would just use straight cement for unless it is a very, very small type of thing or even more like a grout uh, type of situation cement is actually an ingredient sort of of concrete we make cement and then we will use that cement to make concrete so the way that it works is cement is basically a a mixture of limestone and silica there's some other things that are grounded down into a powder They're basically crushed up and they're fed into a kiln, which we'll talk more about a little later, but these giant cement kilns and heated and this material called clinker will come out to the other end and then that clinker is ground up combined with some other things and then to make concrete that powder that cement powder is basically what the the cement is concrete is formed when that powder is mixed with water and then combined with other aggregates like sand stone or gravel and i feel like when you look at the sidewalk you can see some of those like bigger chunks than just like a straight cement i suppose yeah it's all ground 
rock and stone and all of that. But that's the basic process. And the idea is that concrete is much more durable. It withstands temperature fluctuations better and is cheaper than pure cement. So that's why we don't use cement on a bigger scale for these construction projects. So concrete is everywhere. Apparently, concrete is the most abundant man-made material on earth, which is not that surprising, honestly, if you think about, you know, we just mentioned sidewalks, roadways, homes, skyscrapers. The bridges, like underpasses, you can just see mm -hmm. all that concrete wall, basically. Yeah. Foundations Mm -hmm. of buildings. And even just like little, you know, you you may have a concrete patio out back yes. uh, like I do, setting fence posts people will set uh, in, in concrete. So you can just, I mean, just imagine, imagine a city, right? All of this. And like we said, like asphalt is also used. That is not the same thing as concrete. So asphalt can be used for some of these things as well. But there are a lot of concrete in the world. So that in and of itself should be enough to make us think about, well, what? are the environmental impacts of this. Casey, we've talked about some of the environmental impacts of having concrete around. We haven't really talked about the production of concrete, but when we've talked about cities before and we've talked about roads before, we have talked a little bit about that. Can you run through a couple of those impacts that we've talked about? Sure. So concrete is basically more or less solid so when we do put it down especially horizontally you are creating an impermeable surface so that when it rains or precipitates in any way water will run off and so it takes away the ability of the ground or more natural materials to absorb some of the water which can create flooding it can cause uh, motor oils and things to run off into our waterways so runoff is a really big issue and if you think about walking through a city how few places there are for rain to actually sink into. Mm -hmm. That's uh, a huge issue as far as uh, flooding risk in my area, for example. Lots of paved surfaces. Uh, The other is that it creates a lot of heat. So the heat island effect, um, asphalt, I know, is especially bad because it's so dark mm-hmm. versus concrete, which has a little bit of a what we call higher albedo, which means that it reflects more light out. But still, it makes areas that are paved much hotter than natural areas, which you might see like snakes or other reptiles flock to roadways in concrete because they're trying to warm up in the morning. But on like a human level, it makes things way hotter in urban areas versus areas that have less concrete and asphalt. Yeah, some of the things that I was reading were saying that it could, the heat island effect could increase air temperatures by as much as seven degrees Fahrenheit, which... It's already getting hotter. Yeah, that's it. It's not insignificant. So uh, yeah, those those are the things that I was thinking about for sure. And I do want to mention... Because as I was reading into these things, sometimes things would come up about like, oh, concrete can absorb water and that sort of thing. And there are so there are different types of concrete Mm -hmm. and their porous concrete is a thing. And this is being looked at as how, you know, how we might be able to use more porous concrete in certain areas to help wastewater treatment plants and things like that. But as far as what I was reading goes, it sounds like porous concrete is not suitable for all things that we would use concrete 
for in the environment. So yeah. things like roadways. Uh, and that can be due to different things. Just I don't remember exactly what the specifics were around this. But if we're changing the, the makeup of yeah. this material, then we're changing some of its ability to withstand stress and that sort of thing. So it may just be not quite as durable or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think the the thing to always think about with roads is it they're probably considering 10 more things than what's the first thing mm-hmm. on my mind, at least. So you're like, right. oh, con- well, they should be able to make it porous. Yes, but you have to like think about how how long it takes for someone to hit the brakes and stop on the road or like right. how it reacts in different weather conditions. And like you said, durability, like can a semi-truck break on the road without it damaging mm-hmm. the road? So yeah, porous concrete. I know I've walked on walkways that are porous concrete, but yeah, not I've never seen a road that's been constructed that way. Right. So it's it is something that could be used to help that mitigate that in some areas, but it's not a silver bullet. And same thing with the heat island effect. As you mentioned, yeah, asphalt is is worse than concrete for this. So it is somewhat a, a matter of perspective, which came up as I was reading about this too, that uh, concrete is a better material than asphalt. And even there are different colors of concrete that you can have and different yeah. textures and that sort of thing. And those will make a difference. So those things can be looked at by urban planners as they're building cities as well. We also do have to think about a couple of things that I'm not going to really talk about in this episode, but I did want to at least mention is the beginning and end stages. So I've mentioned limestone a couple of times as a component of cement and therefore concrete. And so you have do have to think about mining of limestone and other materials for construction and the impact that we know that mining has on the environment, as well as disposal. And there are different end-of-life options for concrete and folks are looking at more and more how we can incorporate recycled concrete and basically putting it back into other materials. But again, of course, you're looking at the structure and the stability of it and all of that when we're using those materials. Those things exist. Those things need to be worked on. Not necessarily the focus of our conversation tonight, which what I really want to focus on is the production of concrete in the emissions that result from that because concrete is a big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. You can read anywhere from four to eight. I actually saw up to even 9% one time, but typically the numbers that I was seeing was about seven to 8% of total global carbon dioxide emissions. That's a big chunk. We talk about air travel all the time and how unenvironmental it people will say it is to fly. That's at like two or three percent or something like that. So and we're talking probably around we'll we'll say seven percent. Right. Like all of our food production is only like (laughs) two or three times that top number. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to do this episode because this is not something that I ever thought about. If you, until recently, if you listened to our episode where we interviewed Mr. Justin Gillis, who was a co-author of a book called The Big Fix, they talk about this. There's a chapter pretty dedicated, not just to concrete, really industry in general, but concrete, steel, and iron, I think, were the the big three things that they were talking about. And I was like, man, like that just never... I think about cities as a whole and their environmental impact, but I just never thought about what it took to make concrete. So that's why we're here 
tonight. Read, read that book, guys. It'll make you smarter. Yeah. You'll be like, whoa, yeah, I didn't even think about all those things. But yes, concrete mm-hmm. is definitely one that I was uh, not expecting to see in climate change solutions. But here we are. So there are two main ways that concrete production contributes to emissions and it really has to do with cement production. So one is the burning of the fossil fuels to heat these kilns. I mentioned the kilns earlier. I didn't have any idea in my brain what a cement kiln looked like. I have only ever heard the word kiln in association with like pottery. pottery. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) These small little things that you can stick your, your pottery into. These are massive structures. One thing that I was reading said that they can be about as long as as a 40-story building is tall. Whoa. Like massive. Which it has to be, right? Like 12-foot diameters. It has to be. If we're if this is the most abundant man-made material on earth, right? We have to be producing it at scale. So thinking about it now, like that makes sense. But holy cow, that's a lot of space to do what a kiln does, which is heat. I want to say that I read that the maximum, like the largest producers can do 10,000 tons a day. Holy moly. And these kilns, these are big like rotary kilns and they turn 24 hours a day and they're only down rarely for maintenance and that sort of thing. I I didn't even go all all that deep into it, but do yourself a favor if you've never looked up, just do an image search for cement kiln to give yourself it was hard to even get the scale i think from looking at a picture i put one in the outline for you there casey but just to give yourself an idea of what you're looking at so basically materials are going to be ground down to a a powder they're going to go through this kiln to produce what is called clinker is what comes out at the end uh, of the heating process in these kilns and in order to produce that that limestone and silica mixture has to be heated up to about 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit-ish, give or take. Uh, Yeah, that's hotter than lava. Uh, well, no, it's about, yeah, it's hotter than lava, according to Wikipedia. That's not an official source, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so potentially hotter than lava, and it looks like that's about 1,480 degrees Celsius. It's hot. It has to be heated to very high temperatures in order to make this process. And so this largely uses fossil fuels. A very small percentage of this will be biomass as well, but this is mostly still done by fossil fuels. So that's part of it. And again, numbers vary a little bit on this. So even though that seems like that's that's a lot, that's a lot of emissions right there just from burning fossil fuels, My understanding is it's less than half, probably around 40% or so of the emissions from cement production comes from the fossil fuels to heat those kilns. The rest of it is actually coming from carbon dioxide emissions from a reaction as this limestone is heated. They call it the the calcination of limestone. I don't really understand what that means. You can look it up if you're interested. But this process releases carbon dioxide. It it is a chemical reaction from this limestone that is releasing this into the air. So given that, given that these are our big contributors, how do we green up our concrete? 
So in The Big Fix, Justin Ellis and Hal Harvey use kind of a three-pronged attack to going after industrial emissions. And again, they were not just talking about concrete uh, in particular, but industry in, in general. Their three things were to, number one, make industry more efficient and do so at a faster rate than we've been doing that. Number two, power production with different fuels. And number three, improve design and technology to cut materials and energy needed for production. So I'm going to try to go through each of those and talk about how some of that would be related to concrete in particular. So in terms of making industry more efficient, one of the things that they talk about is using performance standards because it can be hard, right? There's a lot that goes on within the concrete industry how do you how do you go in and change all of this stuff up right we have these existing plants this is an existing process how do you get people to spend the money to update things change things and how do you have an outsider sort of come in and tell an industry what to do too so there are some challenges but we do it with other industries right like we we, we set standards for appliances for example so it sounds like something that we sh- and should look that, at. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea that setting standards is how we do it. So we actually sort of make this the the regulation of uh, and one of the things that I really liked that they talk about that I think they were saying is, is done in Japan a lot is in order to set these standards, how do we figure out what, you know, the cap on emissions should be for the concrete industry, basically, you look at what the best producer is already doing. What do we know that our plants are already capable of reaching? And that's your first standard. You say, okay, everybody, here it is. Here's your level. This is what we know we can do. However you need to do it, you need to to clean up your act to this level. And then you just keep rolling that back, rolling that back, rolling that back as people. And I just love that idea. Yeah. That feels great to me. Well, historically, they would kind of do that. And then initially, when you put it in, you say, okay, here's here's some incentives for like, it's not mandatory yet, but you're going to get some sort of financial incentive. And Mm -hmm. that helps smaller firms catch up with bigger firms with more resources. And then eventually you say, okay, this is going to be. Like, here's our deadline for when you need to reach this and you'll start getting penalized if you don't start getting it. And so there are like it it forces some innovation within the sector. But in this is an industry that impacts all of us, even though we're not thinking about it ever. For sure. So that's kind of a vague answer to that in terms of rollout. And that is there's not so much this is not something that you can go out and do to clean up the concrete industry but you can voice support for those types of initiatives but i really like that idea and i think it's an important thing for industry in general point number two which is power production with different fuels for some parts of industries this can happen through the cleaning of the electric grid so we know that this is happening slowly needs to happen more quickly but that can work The discussion with cement seems to be more around creation of more efficient kilns. And right now, honestly, increasing the use of biomass as a fuel, which I feel like biomass in and of itself could be an episode topic Mm -hmm. too. But also carbon capture technology, which I think definitely needs to be an episode because I I always get a little cringy when I... (laughs) 
your carbon capture. But this seems to be a thing that came up regularly where people have sort of just said this is going to be a necessity. We can't depend on it for everything. But this in order to get concrete to zero emissions, we're going to have to use some carbon capture technology and this is a very new thing and there are some places trying to pilot some things but the issue is because of those high temperatures that we have to heat the kilns to it's just really hard to even do it with electricity Mm. so the the burning it's the combustion is is the important element okay yeah now i mean not necessarily again places are trying it there are some I don't know if you would call them startups, but there are some companies that are trying to work on the electrification, I guess, of these kilns. But just to the sheer size and the high temperatures that you need to get it, yeah, burning things uh, is the easiest way to do it. So is that increasing biomass, carbon capture? There are some, in terms of carbon capture, there are... Apparently, you can actually infuse carbon dioxide into concrete where it's mineralized and then stored in the concrete. I don't know what that means for like end of life of that concrete. And also, this has been a whole thing because it this has been tried before, but I guess when it was happening within the process was weakening the concrete. But now some people have figured out how to do it where it does not do that, whether it's feasible on a larger scale, I don't know. There's possibilities out there. Well, and you've listed so many different ways we use concrete that, yeah, we can tailor Mm -hmm. it for particular uses versus other things that we can't really compromise on. I mean, there are mentions out there. I'm going to share one of the my sources was a video that was recently put out by Vox. And one of the things that they mentioned in there is the potential of future cities to be carbon sinks through the improvement of our concrete and their ability to actually take up carbon dioxide. So there's future possibilities. Okay, so looking at the third point, which is to improve design and technology to cut materials and energy needed for production. This is another one that's pretty broad just because of the variety of things that we use concrete for. But a lot of this basically just involves what made me laugh was I kind of thought of it as what we talked about last week when we talked about diapers and how diapers have been sort of streamlined over the years to include less material, right? That's sort of what we need to do with some of our construction projects and concrete. Apparently, again, in that Vox video, they talked about how sometimes we will just use way more concrete than we actually need. Again, part of that is maybe for for peace of mind for these companies that are building it. One of the, the gentlemen talking was like that, you know, you're less likely to have something go wrong and get sued if you're, you know double fortifying something um so but but we use we use excess we're using concrete in places that we don't really need to use concrete in some of our projects so thinking about how can we stop doing too much stop intentionally using excess but then how can we change our designs to minimize the need for concrete how can we change our skyscraper designs our bridge designs that sort of thing to minimize the materials that they need without obviously sacrificing any of the safety components of those things so that's part of it 
And then I don't know if this is what the authors of The Big Fix necessarily had in mind when they talked about this, but I feel like you could also look at this in terms of the concrete itself. And one of the things that you'll see talked about is something called the clinker to cement ratio, which is basically just means the amount of clinker that is in cement and bringing that down. Apparently here in the United States, we are once again, abundantly cautious in our clinker to cement ratio, which is, again, numbers vary, but somewhere in the vicinity of 90%. Whereas it could be as low as like, I think I think globally is like 70% right now, but has been maybe as low as 65%. And now there are folks who are looking at ways to get it all the way down to around 50%. So... Come on, United States. I'm all about being risk averse, but 90%. Sarah in her concrete house would like yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's why I started off. That's the that's the thread moving through is we're just, we're very cautious. Um, but no, I think it is, that is definitely a way that we can bring this down. I think both reducing it as a material and then reducing the components that are the highest part of emissions if we can reduce that down once again you don't want to go too far in the opposite direction because that can cause structural issues and things like that and we don't want that Uh, but i feel like that's a pretty clear-cut way to help reduce the emissions and it's the upshot of all of this is that it's really going to take all of that so we have to be looking for ways to improve these kilns we have to be looking for ways to improve our designs Uh, we have to be looking for other materials that we might be able to use to avoid this chemical reaction that releases carbon dioxide and then even with all of that we probably are going to have to look at carbon capture as well if we want to truly make this a zero emissions process This will result in concrete becoming more expensive. But again, according to that Vox video, one of the folks that they were interviewing said that, you know, one one of the benefits to concrete right now is that it's very cheap anyway. So the amount that doing these things would increase the price is still going to be not that great in the grand scheme of an overall construction cost. So it shouldn't really be... Uh, anything too prohibitive in terms of governments or other organizations hiring things for building processes. Also, I think it's always worth like looking at that as you're always going to hear that cost is a barrier for basically any sort of innovation. Mm-hmm. But remember that we're absorbing costs in other part of the economy to deal with this. And with climate change, we're paying on the back end for climate mitigation, for impacts on our food crops, all those kind of things. So even when they're not directly tied to things like cost of construction for concrete, we're still paying for them in other ways. Right. That's a good point. And then, of course, the other things to to keep in mind that we mentioned briefly earlier are just that we are looking at different types of concrete. So it may be, you know, that we are able to incorporate this more porous concrete. It may be that we are able to get concrete that's going to absorb more CO2. And there are there are all of these potentials. We talked about 
last week too, using recycled diapers. There's a, a few things out there about how we, we've tried different types of personal protective equipment. So things like masks and gowns and gloves and incorporating that into these mixtures. Most of what I find out there about that type of thing right now is more looking at the environmental benefits of keeping things out of landfill. It's not so much. So I'm unclear whether incorporating any of those materials would help us adjust our clinker to cement ratio and that sort of thing. Right. Even the diaper roadway thing, I was thinking about it a lot over the last week and like the amount of water because they had to wash all those diapers. Right. The amount of water yeah. that went into that process, like it's good they weren't in yep. the landfill, but what are the other environmental impacts of the recycling right. process? Exactly. Yeah. So those are all things that you have to think about, and none of those things are big, large-scale right. things that happen all the time or anything like that. It's just there's a lot out there. I was surprised by the variety sort of of things that I was seeing, which made it a little confusing to to research, honestly. But it seems like there are a lot of avenues to explore in ways to make this process greener, which is a good thing. Yeah, you got options. There's no one. Yeah. There's a, rarely a silver bullet in these sort of things anyway. <laughs> right. So that's it. That's concrete for you. A bigger emissions giver than a lot of us realized, but some pretty clear, I think, avenues and lots of options branching off within there to make it better. So we will come back in just a moment to wrap things up and give you some challenges for how you can contribute to the greening of concrete when we come back. All right. Thanks for listening tonight, everybody. Thanks for chatting with me, Casey. Back when we read The Big Fix, I mentioned that this was an issue that I had absolutely never thought about. Concrete is just, it's everywhere. They literally paved my side yard to put up a parking lot when I was a kid. So it's just everywhere. We use it for everything. And we just, I don't feel like we hear about it as much as we do with some other environmental impacts with other materials. Even you like you hear about plastic a lot and their environmental impact. But concrete's impact, I think, just comes about in a different way so that it it escapes our notice and attention. So it's something that I at least wanted to make people aware of tonight. And it certainly is an important material. I don't see it going away ever. So it is an industry that hopefully we'll be able to improve. I do also think it can feel like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do (laughs) about this? I don't work in the concrete industry. I don't know anything about this. So There are a few things that we can do to take action, and I will start with the one from the big fix from this chapter, which is to talk to your representatives. And they mention something called buy clean policies. So when your government is doing a build project, where are they sourcing their materials? And so I think encouraging both encouraging them to enact some type of buy clean legislature, which that's basically what it's talking about, is that governments will use eco-friendly sources for their projects and, and companies. So encourage them to 
have that legislature if they don't where you live, but also I think just generally encouraging them to do that, whether there's legislation or not. If there's a project coming up, are we looking at how are we choosing uh, the companies that we're hiring for this project? Is the environmental impact even a question on their mind? So let them know that that is something that matters to you. And then I think the second thing that we can all do right now in, in, a, in a smaller way, but that will still help, is just think about the materials that you use in your own home projects. If you are buying a house, you can look into it. You know, like I said, I wanted the concrete in my house, but you can look into what are the options. And honestly, in terms of pros and cons of wood frame versus concrete, you can look into that and see, you know, where where you fall and what's important to you. But again, if you are putting in a driveway or a patio, research what your options are around you. See if you have any sort of green concrete companies near you or look at alternatives, gravel, pavers, something like that that's going to be a little more porous. Think about those things for your own projects in the future. I'm definitely going to be more conscious in the next week of all the concrete that I see Mm -hmm. when I'm driving around. So I'm sure our listeners will be too, Sarah. Thank you for bringing up an important topic that I don't think about ever, <laughs> but but it's impactful to all the, the sort of uh, topics that we cover here on A Little Greener. And I think it was a good 100th episode topic. I learned a lot. Well, I appreciate your discussion as always. If anybody out there wants to submit an idea for maybe not our 101st episode, <laughs> for any of our next 100 episodes, or if you have any questions, comments, feedback, anything like that. You can find us everywhere. We're on Facebook, a little greener podcast. We are on Instagram at a little greener pod. We're on Twitter at a greener podcast. And you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.